Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Here with me, as always, Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Matt, hello. Pitchers and catchers are reporting. Yes, they have. I'm extremely excited about this. Official. All 30 teams, pitcher catchers, have had a workout as of today, I guess. Okay, and today being Thursday, and that's, yes. that is Thursday? I think it's Thursday. Um, so that's great. So we have a lot of stuff we want to talk about today. Uh, we are going to get to uh, pitchers and catchers. We've each kind of picked some pitchers and a catcher that we're really excited to see for various reasons, so we're both going to talk about that a little later on. And uh, we're going to get some really interesting catcher-related stat cast data, which I think is pretty cool. But first, there's some names in the news I think we need to talk about from a hopefully interesting and stat cast-related way. Obviously, the big news of the week is that Alex Reyes blew out his arm. He's not going to pitch for the entire season. And, you know, it's amazing how quickly it went from, yes, pitchers and catchers are reporting to, oh, right, baseball can be terrible sometimes. Here's one of my favorite young pitchers who just got hurt, and he's not going to pitch at all. Um, devastating for the Cardinals and, you know, really just crushing for anybody who likes interesting young pitching. And we saw him last year in San Diego, you and I did at the Futures game, and he was really, really impressive. He threw the three hardest pitches of the day, seven of the top eight. His slowest of 20 fastballs that day, 96.4 miles an hour last year in the regular season. He averaged 97.3 miles an hour, and now he's out. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty disappointing, and it's also like pretty pretty sobering when you read. Um, Joe Posnanski did a piece uh, at MLB.com today, uh, new national columnist, very exciting, um, just about sort of this, the significance of having TJ so young and basically looking at a, a list of top prospects who had TJ age 22 or younger it's not great it's not it's not great it's you know the best success story it's maybe jordan zimmerman um you know strasburg maybe but he's sort of been up and down since he had it he's never had that one sustained breakout season yeah. like there's been this flashes of greatness but he's never been able to keep it together you know jose fernandez looked like maybe he was going to be sort of the real success story obviously his tragic death sort of we'll never know um and then you have a lot of guys like darren dreifert Kerry wood uh odalis perez these guys who were huge prospects who basically never came close to living up to their promise so we're off to a real bummer start yes <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that matt um you know another thing that's interesting about reyes is obviously he threw really hard uh, and he had a slightly above average spin rate on his fastball, but I really liked the the way the changeup worked with that because the changeup came in about 10 miles slower and it had a below average spin rate. Now, below average in this case, not a bad thing because it dipped, and I think the combination of those two things made it really, really difficult to hit. Uh, we saw last year 46 innings, 52 strikeouts. So he's out, and that's bad, and as you said, it's bad for his future. It's also bad for the Cardinals, yeah. right? I mean, you look at their projected rotation right now. Carlos Martinez, I'm a big fan. I think he's going to be a, a star. Adam Wainwright, you always think like we're at the end of the line, but he was actually pretty good last year. Adam Wainwright is actually one of the, in 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 the big picture, maybe not the best because you know John Smoltz in the Hall of Fame, but uh, Wainwright one of the better TJ success stories. Although he had it mid career, he actually was one of the few guys who uh, we'll we'll get back to this in a second who pitched with it for a while. Pitched with a partially torn UCL, yeah, and then had TJ amazingly missed the 2012 11 season 11, right. when they won the World Series, right? <laughs> and then he came back and, and had two top three Cy Young finishers. Yeah, and he, and last year, you know, because I remember the year before it wasn't very good. Yeah, last year was pretty good. So anyway, Martinez, Wainwright, Mike Leake, who I've never been a big fan of, he doesn't miss bats and he's not even an elite exit velocity guy in the way you'd think uh lance lynn coming off his own arm surgery and then the number five spot some combination of michael waka shoulder issues uh luke weaver mike mayers and maybe trevor rosenthal maybe yeah i mean rosenthal is the interesting guy here um you know had been the kind of a lights out closer for a couple of years 240 save seasons 
basically at the end of last year was like, I want to be a starter again, which he had been in the well, minors. After falling apart. After falling, yes. Which, which seemed to happen just on every single MLB Plus game that we did, because we'd always have the Cardinals, and he would come in and, you know, walk everybody, and then pretty quickly, Sun Wang Oh uh, came over and or came in and took over that job, and before you knew it, Rosenthal wasn't even the eighth inning guy anymore, and now he's this weird hybrid starter, which I, I kind of like the idea. I really like the idea of a, a quote-unquote fireman who can come in and give you two or three really good innings a couple times a week. Now, I don't know if that's still possible uh, if they need him in their rotation, but there's some potential for intrigue here. Yeah, what's interesting is we were talking about this earlier today with Andrew Simon, uh, one of our researchers, and we were looking for precedent of a player who'd saved, been like a successful closer and then moved into the rotation. Because usually what happens, even if you're a prospect and, you know, they start you in the bullpen, if you thrive as a closer, you know, they're always hesitant to move you back in the rotation. Neftali Feliz sort of being, a, you know, the, a, a notable recent example. So, you know, I thought of Derek Lowe was one. He actually had a 40-save season then went and started afterwards. A really interesting example that Andrew found is Goose Gossage saved 26 games in 1975 Made 29 starts in 1976, had a 3.94 ERA, never started a game again. I, I can honestly say I had no recollection of him ever having started at all. Exactly. So that was the only season he started, and then he went back for like 15 more years in the bullpen. But speaking of firemen, you know, maybe the greatest yeah, sort of like the right. classic firemen. <laughs> so uh, maybe a fit as a, uh, uh, a yeah. prototype for Rosenthal. So it's a big blow to the Cardinals because they needed literally everything to go right to challenge the Cubs. And even then, I'm not sure it was really doable. Uh, and this this kind of is going to knock them back a little bit. Maybe they're now they're in the mix with the Pirates. I mean, I mean, maybe you know, it's weird to think like. Remember when Waka was like the next big thing? Yeah. And then he sort of just never really lived up to that. Maybe no. he can recapture. I mean, it wasn't that it was 2013. It was the year they went to the World Series, right? Yeah. I guess that is kind of well. Long here's time shoulders. Ago now. Shoulders. Everybody talks about Tommy John surgeries. It's shoulders that are really bad for yeah. pitchers. Uh, so let's talk about another pitcher who I guess we're always going to talk about pitchers in terms of velocity and elbow issues. Uh, Noah Syndergaard came to camp, and Anthony DeComo, our Mets.com beat reporter, reported that he gained 15 to 17 pounds of muscle, and he wants to throw harder in 2017. Now let's let's put that in context for a second. Last year, his average four-seam fastball, 98.2 miles an hour. The major league average, 93.1 miles an hour. So he was already throwing five miles an hour harder than everybody else on average. There were 194 pitchers last year who threw 500 fastballs. His was second to Raldis Chapman. And if you look at the list of like 15 guys after him, it's all one-inning relievers. These guys who can come out for one inning, throw it as hard as they want. He's doing this out of the rotation. And now he wants to throw harder. And while that sounds fascinating, I'm not convinced that's a great idea. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't seem that's what he needs. I'm sort of, I'm going to maybe chalk this one up to a little bit of like spring training bravado, just with this whole thing, same with this whole shtick about the, the bowl of doom that he that he Sweet ate. Sweet potato and hash with bacon, buffalo, venison sausage, avocado, and scrambled eggs, which for the record, sounds delicious. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's trying to, you know, to his credit, I think he's trying to... Uh, kind of d- develop this persona of sort of this like superhero, you know, trying Thor. to live up to the it's Thor. He's really trying to live up to the Thor thing. And like this time of year, a lot of that, that talk is, you know, it's sort of, it feels, it feels pages. It feels, it feels websites. It's fun. I mean, uh, I'm it's hard, it's, I don't think he can physically throw. I mean, I, I, I'm not a doctor and you're not a doctor, but this is a guy who already had elbow issues last year with the bone chips and everything. And now he's going to come out and try to throw harder. I mean, you almost wonder if the best bet for him is to maybe throw 85, 90% of his full velocity so he doesn't like extend himself too much. Yeah. This might be the opposite of that. And, you know, if there's, we just talked about the Cardinals rotation. If there's any rotation in baseball that needs some kind of certainty, it might be the Mets because yeah. they could be the most talented rotation in baseball if everybody stays whole. But we all know that Steven Matz has never stayed healthy. We all know that Matt Harvey missed a whole big uh, part of last year. Oh, and has had TJ. 
and has had TJ. Uh, we know that DeGrom has had issues. And ha- has we, had TJ. Has had TJ. Thank <laughs> you. And Syndergaard has had elbow issues. You know, these bone chips, and I think he missed some time in the minor leagues. I don't believe he's at TJ. No. But these are guys who are very high variance. They're all very talented, but we don't know if they're going to stay healthy. And so you look at their fifth, their fifth starter competition, Robert Kasselman, uh, Seth Lugo, StatCast All-Star Seth Lugo. Uh, quick aside, by the way. The new season of Topps Baseball Cards came out, and on the back of Seth Lugo's is a, a reference to his spin rate, which I'm told is the first time that's ever been on a baseball card. I thought that was really cool, um, so that's fun. And also, Zach Wheeler, who has not been forgotten at this point. He's been out for you know two seasons now and is already dealing with elbow soreness. Um, so up and down this Mets rotation, health concerns, and then if you throw in Syndergaard trying to throw it even harder, uh, that doesn't give me a good feeling, I guess, is the way I'd put it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if with Syndergaard, I kind of, I'm sort of of the opinion that, like, he should just keep doing what he's doing, and if he's going to break, he was probably going to break anyway. And that sort of sounds cynical. That is grim. But it's just like, I, I think so, I think sometimes some pitchers are just, you know, are just kind of freaks, and they just beat the odds, essentially. And, like, you know, this was, this was in the Poznanski piece I referenced earlier. You know, every Cy, Young win, every Cy Young winner going back to 2010, none of them have had TJ. A lot of really hard throwers, throwers among them, David Price, uh, Justin Verlander, Kershaw. Uh, Kershaw, Corey Kluber. And I think that just sometimes it's like there is, you, beat, you beat the odds. There is a pervasive myth that having Tommy John surgery will not only instantly restore you, it may improve you. And that is super not the case. We've seen that over and over. Um, so pitchers and catchers did report this week, and we're going to talk a little bit about the pitchers and catchers we're most excited to see. But first, a promo. We are not the only podcast here at MLB.com. There are many other podca- podcasts who do very many interesting things, and uh, we want to tell you very briefly about the Fantasy 401 podcast. If you want to win your Fantasy League this year, Fred Zinke and Matthew Leach will cover all the bases for you this spring, giving you an edge over your friends. doesn't matter what kind of format you play. They've been there. They've won that, and they'll help you win too. And they're really smart because they've had me on their show to help infuse some stats into fantasy baseball uh so follow the fantasy 411 podcast on itunes today it's really good and interesting and um i really enjoyed being on it so pitchers and catchers we're gonna name a couple pitchers we are really interested to see this year and um one catcher and i think you want to start with a guy we just we just mentioned robert gazelman we just mentioned exactly uh gazelman is really interesting to me because he came up at the end of last year without a ton he wasn't a big prospect pedigree guy uh, but the mets had injuries in the rotation you know, he'd had a nice year at AAA. He comes up and, you know, made about 10 starts and looked really, really good. And it wasn't just a fluke where it's like, you know, the other Mets star that came up, with all due respect, Seth Lugo, had the spin rate where his fielding independent pitching numbers were way off from his ERA because he, like, stranded basically like 96% of runners that he faced, leading to me, leading me to believe that maybe his uh, ERA was not indicative of his true ability. You know, I, I briefly considered naming Seth Lugo as one of my three pitchers, but I didn't, and we're going to end up talking about him anyway. It's wonderful. I love the show. Um, but Gazelman, on the other hand, 2.42 ERA, 2.63 fielding independent pitching, a.k.a. FIP, um, suggests that there might be some realness here. He only allowed one home run, so clearly not allowing a ton of great, you know, really hard contact. And what's interesting about his slider, his his fastball velocity isn't particularly fast. It's about, you know, league average, it's 93.8 or something. But his slider, he throws about as hard as any starting pitcher in the league. The only starting pitchers last year who threw it harder than him are Noah Syndergaard, Steven Strasburg, Corey Kluber, Garrett Richards, Matt Harvey, um, Jonathan Gray, and Chris Archer. Those so, are impressive names. Those, that's a good list of names. And those are the only guys throwing the slider harder than Robert Gesellman. So... I'm interested to see if what we saw at the end of the year is for real because he could be a really interesting pitcher throwing that worth and slider. Maybe, you know, and the Mets fans have seen this before with Jacob deGrom, a pitcher who came up without a ton of fanfare, 
but ended up, you know, really exceeding expectations pretty quickly. And not just because of the hair, Robert Gazelman has a similar kind of general profile. It's a little bit because of the hair. A little bit. All right. So I think I'm totally on board with you on there because I don't trust Wheeler's arm whatsoever. And I think your concerns about Seth Lugo are accurate. So I, it's really kind of important that Gaselman step up and win this fifth starter job for the Mets. So uh, I've got a couple of names of my own here. The first one I think I want to go with is Chris Sale. So obviously part of the biggest trade of the winter going to Boston. And that's not a great park for lefty pitchers, but I don't think it matters because he's obviously an elite star. What I'm really interested in seeing is how the Red Sox will help him in ways that the White Sox did not. And there's two reasons about this. One is just the defense. If you look at the up the middle defense last year for Chicago, second, short, and center field, combination of Jimmy Rollins and Brett Lowry and uh, Tim Anderson and J.B. Shuck and Austin Jackson, negative 19 defensive runs saved. Now you compare that to the up the middle Red Sox. He's going to play in front of Pedroia, Bogarts, and Bradley plus 13 defensive runs saved. That matters. You can't strike out anybody. You need someone to catch the ball behind you. So that's going to help. But it's really about framing. The White Sox catchers last year were just really, really poor uh, in framing. If you look at last year, Deonor Navarro, uh, ranked by a baseball prospectus, dead last. The worst framer in baseball, negative 17 runs. Alex Avila was negative seven runs himself. Uh, for an idea of the spread, the two best catchers, Posey and Grandal, were plus 27. So we're talking about things here. Prospectus also ranks them based on uh, just pitchers, like the help they got. So in 2015, with Tyler Flowers, who's a very good framer, Sale was plus 11 runs, uh, tied for number one with Granke, who was with Yasmani Grandal at the Dodgers. Last year, negative six runs. So that's a 17-run swing that he lost in framing just from his catchers uh, going around. So the Red Sox catchers, even if they're only merely average, that's a big step up for him. The defense is a big step up for him. I really like that even if he doesn't do anything differently, his run prevention numbers, I think, will come down. Yeah, he's he's set up nicely to sort of get that uh, the Cy Young that's eluded him, going to a winning team with a better defense and sort of everything that will, you know, he'll from day one be getting a lot of sort of attention, you know, the new ace in town, all that. So it, it's uh, the Red Sox are going to be good. Or they should be good. They're going to be real good. <laughs> um, another name for me is actually a former uh, Cy Young winner, uh, Felix Hernandez. Felix Hernandez was not really Felix Hernandez last it's year. It's like we've forgotten about him. Which makes me sad because Felix Hernandez might be my favorite player in baseball. Definitely my favorite pitcher, possibly my favorite player. I think that like the whole thing with the Kings Court is one of the, just the coolest things that's been going on in baseball the last few years, and just sort of the the kind of the the adoration between Felix and the fans in Seattle. I just I've always really like that energy. It's I think it's something that like I wish we could. You know, it's you can't force it, obviously, but it's something you'd like to see more of. But um, it was probably the worst year of his career, and he's just a different pitcher than he was as you know, a youngster, which isn't, is natural guys, you know, lose velocity as they go on. But the thing is the great pitchers can kind of reinvent themselves. You know, the example I always think of is Pedro Martinez, you know, young, young pitcher was throwing high nineties by the end. He was still effective up until basically his last game, which I think was in the world series pitching for the Phillies, which is like a thing that people probably forget. I forgot that happened, but he was still, you know, he was still effective and he was throwing like 88 because his changeup was so good and his just feel for pitching was so good. And I think that Felix is the kind of pitcher that could reinvent himself. But, I mean, like, look, I mean, in 2008, he threw his fastball basically 70% of the time. 2016, he threw it 17% of four-seamer, 17% of the time. It's just a completely different pitcher. He threw his changeup in 2008 5% of the time, 27% of the time last year. So it's like he's definitely changed who he is, and I think that, you know, I'm hoping that maybe there's like a – he hasn't quite found it yet, but maybe that will click for him. Because even last year, you know, he had a 271 batting average on balls in play. So, like – it's not even like you could be like, oh, well, he was just like kind of unlucky. It was it wasn't a great year. The, the one good news from a stack ass perspective, his barrels per ball in play was 5.6% per 
and for those who follow barrels is basically like the the best thing a hitter can do um you know like a it's essentially like a guaranteed extra base hit and you know a, a barrel has an average of uh, about 800 822 and uh, 3000 slugging percent okay um and basically that was right in line with chris sale so in terms of like really hard hit balls he was you know on par with chris sale so that gives some level of optimism um but I'm not sold. I'm hopeful. It's more. I'm more hoping that we can see a new Felix Hernandez. They will have a much better outfield defense. This is true. That will help all of the Mariners pitchers. Uh, my second guy I'm really excited to see, and I mean that very literally, is Rich Hill. And I, I, want to, I just want to see him on the mound continuously. He's only pitched, we've talked about him so much, he's only pitched 139 innings in the last two years because he's so fragile, he's constantly hurt, we know this. But when he's on the mound, he's extremely good. The last two years, he has had a 201 ERA. Uh, which is second only to his teammate Clayton Kershaw. So I don't think that he was signed with the idea that he was going to make 30 starts and throw 220 innings because he would have cost a lot more if that was the case. But if you can keep him out there for 20, 25 starts, I really want to see what he can do, what the new Rich Hill can do over a full season or whatever the closest version of a full season is. And then, you know, we're not going to go into the whole Rich Hill story again, but very quickly, uh, Rich Hill last year had the 12th highest fastball spin out of the 187 pitchers who threw 500. He had the third highest curveball spin out of 70 guys who threw at least 250. He literally only throws those two pitches. Uh, I think it was like a 50-50 split. They're high spin. They're great. I just want to see him out there. I want to see what he can do in a full season. And if he stays out there, that Dodger rotation is going to be really, really good. And yeah, the Dodgers are one team that's sort of like particularly f- pretty forward thinking about injury prevention. And, and I think that they're the kind of team that would be totally willing to just like let him skip starts. And oh, like, absolutely. you know, just like, you know, like, you know, our plan for you is we want you to make, you know, 20, 25 starts, as you said, and just be like, you know, OK, like we're going to, sk- you know, we have a day off. We're going to skip you. No big deal. Or even just like they have so much depth. They could you know, slot someone else in and like... Yeah, you could say, okay, Alex Wood, you're really good. Here's your start. Or Brock Stewart, who dominated the minors, here's your start. Or maybe we're only going to get five starts out of Hyunjin Ryu this year. Here you go. Give Rich Hill a rest. I think you're absolutely right. And that's the way you have to approach it in baseball these days. Yeah, it could be something that going back to <clears throat> to someone like uh, Rosenthal or, you know, these other maybe pitchers who sort of becoming more of like spot... Star- not that Rich Hill would be a spot starter, but like other teams could adopt more of a spot starter approach where they mix and match in that fifth spot, not just because the guy's on the DL, just because they think that some players will be better with extra rest. Fair enough. Um, my third pitcher I'm excited to see, we you know we talk about Seth Lugo a lot as like the king of spin, but before Seth Lugo, there was Garrett Richards. In the first season of StatCast in 2015, we kind of talked about Garrett Richards the way we talk about Seth Lugo now because he came out there and uh, he had really high spin on multiple pitches. So if we look at the two-season StatCast era, uh, I looked at 261 pitches, pitchers who have thrown at least 100 curveballs. Unsurprisingly, Seth Lugo is number one. Garrett Richards is number two. You know, that was whose record that Seth Lugo broke last year. Uh, you look at four seamers, it's kind of the same thing. He has the ninth highest spin rate of 331 pitchers to throw at least 500 fastballs. I mean, that's really, really good. But he only made six starts last year. He's gonna, He's trying to be one of the very few guys who has injured their elbow and rehabbed it. And we saw his teammate Andrew Heaney tried to do that, and it did not go well. He ended up having Tommy John surgery. Lots of guys have tried it. I mean, it's worked for Tanaka so far, worked for Wainwright for a number of years. It doesn't really work that often. And if this Angels team is going to be any good, they need him to be healthy, and they need Skaggs to be healthy, and they need Schumacher to be healthy, and they need all three of them to be healthy and productive. So I I hope we get to see that version of Garrett Richards, because once upon a time, he was one of the most interesting pitchers in baseball. Yeah, and last last year, uh, around this time, 
you know, Mike and I had many heated debates about why I thought the White Sox were going to be sneaky good, and for about a month, <laughs> it looked like I was going to be right, and then I was clearly no, wrong. It never looked that way. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have it, Mike. Um, this year, I'm of the belief that the Angels could be sneaky good. I don't. I'm not saying they definitely will be. I think, but I do think that there is a there is a very to me, I see a clear path to contention for them. It involves a lot of things going right, such as Garrett Richards being able to stay on the mound. But obviously, for this prediction to, or quote-unquote prediction, to look good, they need Garrett Richards to stay, stay on the mound. And Skaggs. And Schumacher. Well, let me put it this way. I think their defense is much improved, for sure. And obviously, Mike Trout is wonderful. But if we were to do like a, a one-to-five ranking of, of our predictions for each division, and if you excluded number one teams like obviously the Cubs, I think Angels slash fourth place would be my highest confidence prediction. Because I just they're better than the A's. I can't see them being better than those other three teams right now. If everything goes right, but we talked about this, you know, if everything goes right for every team, then every team's a World Series contender. There's a lot of there's a lot of risk there. Um, but, so I think you have one more pitcher to talk about that you're excited yes, to see. Yes, the pitcher that I'm excited to see is Marcus Stroman. Um, I sort of expected the breakout last year. It didn't really happen, but he had his moments. And the thing that makes him really interesting is of all pitchers who had 250 batted balls against last year, he had 40% were a negative launch angle. So basically, like, hit straight down. Grounders. Grounders. And he also led, you know, in traditional quote-unquote ground ball percents, he also led the league 60%. Um, and I think that that's just going to be a recipe of, you know, it's a recipe. To me, that's a recipe for a successful pitcher, and he's shown that he can work with that formula. Obviously, sometimes you are subject to the vagaries of ball and play, balls in play. And in this day and age, when most starting pitchers are effective via the strikeout, he's sort of following a little bit of a different model. There's fewer of these, like, two-seam type pitchers um, out there th these days, although the the uh, Blue Jays have another in Aaron Sanchez. Um, but uh, I'm really interested to see that what Stroman can do. What's interesting about him also from a StatCast perspective is that his two-seamer doesn't really have low spin. Usually what you want on a two-seamer is you want four-seamer, you want high spin for the defy gravity, rising fastball fed. For a two-seamer, you want low spin so it dives and dips, which is something, but his is like, 2200 or 2250 which is like about average well i agree with you on Sturman, but i think for a, an opposite reason than the one you've described so a couple weeks ago i wrote about uh pitchers i thought would have breakout seasons and i didn't want to name those guys here because those are also guys i want to see so james paxton was one jonathan gray and i picked marcus Sturman because uh, i agree with you totally but what was interesting about him in the second half last year he kind of stopped throwing that two-seamer so much he started using the slider more his slider is awesome he gets ground balls and strikeouts with it which is a really neat trick to pull off so i think that he can still be the ground ball guy but you add strikeouts to that all of a sudden that's a star and I'm really excited to see that. I, I agree with you. feels like we're about two seasons past where the breakout should have been, but it's it's still there. I think it's going to happen this year. Yeah, hopefully. All right, so we've done our pitchers now. We've each got a catcher. Uh, I'm going to go with Travis Darno. And Travis Darno is, is one of the most interesting cases in baseball. I guess, I guess Mets fans really want Matt Wieters. And I, we talked about Matt Wieters on this show already. I don't think either of us are super impressed by the prospect of Matt Wieters. Uh, Travis Darno coming off a really poor season, uh, 307 on base, 323 slugging, so weighted runs created plus of 74, where 100 is league average. That's very bad. But the year before, he crushed the ball. Uh, 130 weighted runs created plus, 485 slugging. He's always hurt. I mean, I get that. He's got to stay healthy. But he's a very good pitch framer. And if you look at the Mets, they don't have really that many other options. Like Rene Rivera, fine, a career backup. Kevin Pawecki has never really shown he can hit. They need Darno. They need this to be the year that he stays healthy and he starts to hit because the Mets are so high variance right now, up and down that lineup. Everybody is talented slash old and or questionable. And he's not old, 
but the injuries are always going to be a problem there. So I'm excited to see if he can actually hold it together because he's a big part of it. The Mets team is going to be in the playoffs. This year. For sure. And at least, I mean, that's the thing about last year, you know, depending on how much you kind of, you know, buy into the framing, that not that the importance of it, but just the, the actual value of it, because depending on who you listen to or what you read, the value is, can be extreme, but at least he theoretically at least made himself usable because of his framing skills, whereas his bat basically, if you only looked at his offense and it's throwing, you'd be like, oh my God, this guy's unplayable. But the framing at least made him made him playable, at least relative to the Mets' other options. Although by the end of the season, Rene Rivera was basically their, their everyday catcher. Yeah, but that's not a great option either. No, it's not. Hit. I mean, the thing about Darno is he's not... He's not old, but he's not young. He, right. did, you know, he was he he had a lot of injuries in the minors. He missed a lot of time, so he didn't actually debut till he was like 24, 25 years old. So I think he's twenty eight or twenty nine now. Yeah. So he's not young. He's in what should be his theoretical. Even though he's been around a couple of years, he's basically in what should be his theoretical prime. So if there was ever a year for him to like have his it season, I guess two hundred fifteen was sort of it, but he missed a lot of time. Like two hundred sixty plate appearances. Yeah. He this, actually this, hold it together. This this should be it. This would be yeah. a good time for Travis Darno to sort of live up to the promise he's had for so many years. All right, Matt, hit me with your catcher. You're gonna you're gonna dig deep here. He's barely even a catcher, but let's go with it. Christian Betancourt. Christian Betancourt. I love Christian San Betancourt. Diego's Christian Betancourt. San Diego's gonna be because the plan supposedly is for him to be a hybrid this year to be a backup catcher slash backup outfielder slash relief pitcher. I love it. I love everything about this. Which is I've you know I've long advocated um for this for more teams to try this you know the brewers tried it in the early 2000s with brooke kishnick but that's about as close as any teams really you know come where he you know he probably had like a hundred something at bats and pitched like 30 innings who's the guy with the diamondbacks uh mike owings mike owings he never he never actually did it but he was always just a really good hitter because he'd been a good two-way right. player in college um and there's other guys who sort of were former pitchers who became outfielders like brian bogosevic college teammate of mike owings at Tulane. Jordan Schaefer's trying it now. Jordan Schaefer, um, Adam Lowen. So these guys, theoretically, I, I always wonder why Lowen and Bogusevic never really tried it, because I thought it might have made them more yeah. uh, it, useful. Even just the idea, like, hey, like I could do mop-up duty. Right. right. It's different than like a Rick Ankiel situation, where like he was a good pitcher and then totally lost it and became an everyday outfielder. Um, and it's perfect for the Padres, isn't it? I mean, this is a team that should be experimenting this year with something like this. You know, So we talk about how does a catcher pitch. Well, last year, he only caught 41 games. But he still had three of the five hardest throws we tracked on on a steal attempt, copping out at 89 miles an hour. And now that's behind the plate with all the gear on, you know. So we see him in the outfield with a running start. I'm interested to see if he can pop 100 on the mound. Is he going to throw 95? Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see what Christian. This, I mean, this is. I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I'm say, when I say that this will be the most interesting thing about the Padres this year. Well, um, okay, let's. That's a great segue into our final topic of the day here. So there is one last thing we want to get to, and it is actually related still to Christian Betancourt, believe it or not. Uh, we, in a similar way, last week we looked at all of the 2017 projected outfields by arm strength. So we can do the same thing with catchers by pop time. So we take their data over the last two years and assign them to their 27 teams, or 2017 teams, and uh, we can see who is projected to have the best pop time, which is, you know, pop time from the catcher receiving it to the infielder receiving it. It's the San Diego Padres. And a big part of that is Christian Betancourt, but it's also Austin Hedges, who came up through the minors as a guy who's really with a stellar defensive reputation. Didn't play very much last year, but the small amount of data we got on him was really excellent. So the average major league pop time on stolen base attempts at second base, 2.01 seconds. Uh, Christian Betancourt, 1.88 seconds. Hedges, 1.86 seconds. Those are really uh, extremely you know, positive numbers. Uh, they didn't play enough to qualify necessarily, but it would have been number one on our list if they did. So I think it's interesting because if you look at this and you say, does that number matter? I say, 
For the most part, yeah. Because if you look at last year's data, the best pop-time team was the Royals, uh, Sal Perez, Drew Brutera, and they actually had the best caught-stealing percentage second base, so that's great. It's not a one-to-one relationship. We know that the pitchers need to hold guys on. We know that the catcher needs to make an accurate throw in addition to a strong throw. Uh, but I would say it's really hard to be very good at this skill and be very bad at catching base stealers. So the San Diego Padres, number one in something. And this is that something. Um, and I noticed in your list, the Angels, number two, maybe another reason that they could be a sleeper team. Well, you look at that defense up the middle, like we talked about, Simmons, Espinosa, Trout, uh, and now they have Carlos Perez, and uh, they acquired Martin Maldonado, who I believe were both top ten in this last year. So that's the Angels are number two. The Yankees, number three, because Gary Sanchez, everybody thinks about the homers. He has a cannon of a throwing arm. He's been really impressive behind the plate. Uh, so he doesn't even need to hit like Mike Trout to be a star. He just needs to be an above-average hitter, which I believe he'll do. So, you know, it's really interesting, even though we're only talking about fractions of a second here, this kind of stuff matters when we're talking about stolen bases. Yeah, and the other end of the spectrum, because I'm sure some people are curious, is uh, the Braves yeah. down at uh, number number 30. Not not something they're great at with uh, uh, Kurt Suzuki. And uh, I guess Flowers is a very good framer, but yeah. he's, he's not very good at this. Um, and the Diamondbacks kind of similar. Mathis is a very good framer, but not so great at this. So, you know, the difference between top and bottom is only about 0.2 of a second, which doesn't seem like a lot. But again, it is. We're talking about averages here. So anyway, uh, that's our show. We looked at catchers. We looked at pitchers. Uh, next week, when we talk again, spring training will be in full swing. There'll be games going There'll on. There'll be games going It'll on. It'll be like, uh, you know, like... Uh the Diamondbacks against like Northwest Arizona Community College. I don't even care. I'll be so happy to watch it. Uh, that's our show. I'm Mike Petriello. He's Matt Myers. It's the MLB.com StatCast podcast. 